mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. At first, it all looks so wondrous, so splendid. 1 Corinthians 13, one of the most beautiful chapters in the entire Bible. I read one biblical commentator who when himself was just caught up with the wonder of this praise, of this prose. He says, it's as if the doors of heaven were left propped open and Paul was able to overhear the angels singing. If that makes you puke in your mouth a little bit, I understand that's okay. It's okay. But it's a beautiful passage. We can't ignore it or deny it. 1 Corinthians 13, in just wonderful words, brings out God's grace, his love, and the wonder of the gift of love. We're swept away with all these torrents of love. We hear how love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It isn't arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Countless Weddings through the ages have used this chapter, and you can understand why. This wonderful paean of love, this song of praise to God's gift of love. And we can wonder at that. But you might also wonder about Paul's conclusion to the passage. He says, okay, and then faith, hope, and love abide, remain, stick around. But the greatest of these, Paul says, is love. Now, it has that kind of intuitive uh, sense to it. I mean, especially at the conclusion of that chapter, we've heard everything he has said. And of course, we're going to say, yes, the greatest of these is love. Paul, you've just exalted and extolled love in all of its wonder. So how could we not say that the greatest of these is love? But then you step back for a second and you think about the, uh, the larger picture of our Christian faith. And we believe that you and I are justified, made righteous, made holy in God's sight by what? By faith alone. It's by faith that we are made acceptable to God. It is faith that reconciles us to the Father. So how is it that we could say that love is the greatest if it's faith that justifies? Now, perhaps for some of you, this answer is obvious, but I want to unpack it a little bit, spend some time meditating upon it, because it's a really vital question for understanding what it means to be a Christian, to live as a Christian. Why is love the greatest? Well, one answer that's given, has been given historically, and is still given by some today, is that the reason love is the greatest is because love is, in fact, what justifies and makes you holy. It's not faith, like you Lutherans say. No, not faith alone at all. It's love. It's your love for your neighbor, your love for God, your love for others is what makes you holy and righteous in God's sight, and therefore, love is the greatest. Now, I know you might get your Lutheran hackles up a little bit right there, but stay with this for a second, because there is some some biblical and even emotional support for this, if you will. First of all, biblically speaking, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law, what does he say? Believe. No. What does he say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, quoting from the, what was called the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love is the epitome, the essence of the law. Paul himself says it also in, in Romans 13. Love is at the heart of God's will for his people, that you love him above all else and that you love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, love would be the greatest. Of course, it would be love that makes us righteous in God's sight because he's told us that's what he commands and demands of each and every one of us. So yeah, there's that biblical support for that position. And there's also, if I can put it this way, just an emotional resonance to this as well. Because when you think about it this way, how many songs through the ages, like top 40 hits, have been about hope or faith? You know, maybe on the contemporary Christian station, but if you're listening to the top 40, what is almost every single song about? Oh, love. And hey, so this strikes a chord with us. We think, yeah, love is the greatest. It has to be that way. That's what ultimately makes us right and righteous. I hate to say it, but maybe the Beatles were right. All you need is love. Okay, no, it can't be that the Beatles were right. So let's, let's think about this some more. It is true that Jesus gives this command to, to love, that that is the, the greatest command, and that Paul says here that it is, it is the greatest. But think about it this way. In this context, and context is so important, anytime you're reading and interpreting the Bible, you want to look at the broader context and setting in, in which it takes place. And here, in this context, where Paul's writing 1 Corinthians, he's focusing more on, so to speak, horizontal concerns. Okay? That is, concerns about our relationships with one another. Last week we heard in, in chapter 12 where he talks all about how the church is the body of Christ. And his concerns there are focusing on um, uh, avoiding those things that divide the body, that pull us apart. So that here when he talks about love and love being the greatest, he's not talking about what justifies you, a vertical concern, if you will, what makes you righteous in God's sight. No, he's talking about, in a horizontal sense, what is the greatest thing for you and me. Your neighbor doesn't need your faith, nor your hope. Your neighbor needs your love. From that perspective, that, that makes more sense. And furthermore, when we talk about how love is the greatest command, that's true. But no matter how beautiful that might sound, you've got to remember that is fundamentally a word of law, not gospel. It's a word of thou shalt what you must do. And God has not given us his law in order that we might be justified by it. He has given us his law to drive us to Christ. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. That might sound beautiful, and it is, but we also need to remember that it is a damning word of law, the most above all else. Jesus goes to the cross precisely because you and I do not love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and don't love our neighbors as ourselves. So no, love is not the greatest because you're justified by it. It's not the case. There must be something else. So a second answer that's given fits with the theme of this chapter also, and that love is eternal. It's like the Energizer Bunny. Remember those battery commercials? It just keeps going and going and going and going. Ergo, it must be the greatest because love is the last man standing, as it were. It's the thing that sticks around eternally, and that's why it's so great. Once again, I think we can do some biblical basis for this. Because think about it. I mean, what's the, the definition of faith given in the book of Hebrews? In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Faith 
is the conviction of things not what? Seen, right? Of things not seen. Well, listen, when we get to heaven, as Paul says, we will see God face to face. What need will there be for faith anymore? Faith will be obsolete, but love, love will still be sticking around. And when it comes to hope, hope, similarly, Paul says in Romans 8, who hopes for what he sees? No, you hope for things that you are expecting, things that are not yet realized in the present. It's things in the future that you're looking forward to. But when all our hopes are realized in the age to come, when we arrive at heaven, then hope also is going to just, you know, flitter away. But love, love will still be there. Therefore, love is the greatest because love alone is eternal. It's the only one that sticks around forever. Okay, that makes some sense. But let's evaluate that a little bit, too. Because when we talk about faith, one way to define faith is that faith is the conviction of things not seen. Okay? This kind of faith where you just don't know, you're not able to rationally make sense of it, and so you make, as we say, that leap of faith. But there's another way that we talk about faith, right? where faith is trust. Faith is also trust. And trust is the glue of any good relationship. Even a psychologist today will, will tell you that. Trust is the glue of any healthy relationship. If you don't trust another person, you're never going to be able to, to live in a, a friendship or in a marriage. And if we don't have trust between us and God, well, that relationship is going to break down. Is that going to go away because we get to heaven? That trust will just dissolve? I'd say by no means. And when it comes to hope, Yes, hope, who hopes for what he sees? But on the other hand, when we arrive at heaven, will it just then be an eternal monotony? The end of expectation? No. When we get to heaven, in the new creation, it is going to be endless expectation. I mean, think of even that saying, hope springs what? Eternal. No, hope persists as well. And again, we can just listen flat out to Paul's own words. Faith, hope, and love abide, remain, stick around. These three, and yet still, the greatest is love. Not because it alone is eternal, because faith and hope stay by its side. Love is the greatest. And if it's not because it just keeps going and going and going, and if it's not because by our love we are justified, why is it? I'll give you one more answer, final answer, as Regis Philbin used to say. The final answer, I think, we can go back to, well, think of it this way. In the scriptures, God is called by so many names. Think about how many names God is called by. The Lord, Yahweh, Adonai, I am. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty, Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and on and on and on it goes. Through the scriptures, literally dozens of names are ascribed to our God. You know what God is never called, however? God is never called faith. God is never called hope. You know what God is called? Love. God is love. See, love is greatest because God is greatest. And God's very essence is love. Love alone is what makes you and me like our Lord. And it's often been pointed out that in this wonderful passage from 1 Corinthians 13, you can even trade out the word love for God, and it still holds true. Listen to this. 
God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. God is not arrogant or rude. God does not insist on his own way. Well, we might bend that a little bit, but God, God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. God bears all things. God never fails. Love is the greatest because love is the essence of our Father. He is the one who has poured forth this heart of love. And if we are to become more and more like our God, we are to grow in love as well. Now, a couple of things follow from this. First of all, love is active. Love is active. And here our translations let us down a little bit. It sounds like love is more like an adjective. It's patient. It's kind. But in the original Greek from which the New Testament which the New Testament was written in, all of those are verbs, believe it or not. It's 15 verbs here. Love bears all things. Love shows kindness. Love suffers long. If you are to understand love aright, you can't look at it as an, as an adjective or as a noun, but as an active thing. Love is a verb. Love does, as one author has put it. This is what the love of God is like. It's not just a, a warm sentiment, some nice uh, emotional fuzzies, but instead it is God's active love. And that's the second side of it. See, that love is active, but it is first and foremost God's action for you and me. If we only think about it and talk about love in terms of our love for God or our love for others, we miss what is primary and principal. God's love for you. God's love for you. One definition of grace is God's one-way love, that he reaches down to you and me in our helpless estate and pulls us up. By this we know love, St. John says, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. If we only focus on our love, we miss what is primary and principal, the love that God has freely bestowed on you and me. That's why love is the greatest, because it's the essence of our Lord and what he pours out so freely on us. But in conclusion, let's circle back to where we started and think about then this relationship of faith and love. Because it is the case that we are saved by faith alone. It's true, and in fact, it is a vital and essential truth, and in part, precisely because it, it insulates and inculcates this love that we are then able to show. I'll show you what I mean. See, if, if faith can be understood as trust and that glue that keeps our relationships together, when you lack that trust, where does that leave you? You're always kind of anxious and uncertain Think about in terms of your, your human relationships. If you don't trust another person, you never know where you stand with them, right? And when you don't trust God, if you don't live by that simple receptivity, that passive reception from God, you're always wondering, have I done enough? Am I acceptable enough? Have I loved well enough him and others? And then you inevitably have this focus on yourself. You're always looking to yourself to see if you have done enough. Author Walker Percy says, then you turn into a great suck of self. <laughs> we turn into a suck of self because you become preoccupied with yourself and how well you have done in this category of love. But instead, when we live by faith alone and recognize that 
all that we have, we receive from God, then we can rest in that identity and know that nothing we do, no matter how well we love or fail to love, makes you acceptable to God, but simply and solely the love that he has poured out in Jesus. And then, wonder of wonders, you're liberated to love your neighbor well. We see this spiritually speaking in Jesus' healing of Simon's mother-in-law in in the the story. I mean, what love there is that Jesus is healing a mother-in-law for Simon. Okay, no mother-in-law jokes there. That that God, that he comes down to find Simon's mother-in-law. And how is she? Is she already busy doing good works? No, she's laid up. She can't do anything. She's suffering from from a fever, right? And Jesus rebukes the fever, heals her. And then, straight away, she gets up and starts serving. This is the rhythm. This is how it works. The Lord finds you and me helpless, dead, unable to do anything of ourselves. But then he comes down, shows his love to us, restores us, sets us free. And then we go out and busy ourselves in good works of love for the sake of our neighbor. Not that the Lord needs it, but that our neighbor needs it. Does that make sense? This is what God has called you and me to. And this is why it's so important that we are saved by faith. We trust in him and recognize that we are reconciled and redeemed already. And then faith works itself out through love. And listen, when you are serving and sacrificing and sharing God's heart with your neighbor, when by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are patient and kind, enduring all things, bearing all things, When you live that way, you grow more and more to look like your Lord. And what could be greater than that? Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.